episode of Author Conversations, brought to you again by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and today we continue our journey into the spooky month of October by talking with author Madonna Wise. Madonna is known for writing history books, but this year she has written her first haunted history book for us, entitled The Haunted History of Pasco County. In a land occupied for thousands of years, mystery and unrest linger. Anguished soldiery figures dot the landscape of Pasco County, from the doomed march of Major Dade in his haunted hill to the ghost of Captain Jeffrey standing watch over his homestead in Zephyr Hills. A pair of spears drifts about near a Dade City pond, perhaps a brother and sister cut down during the infamous Bradley Massacre. Echoes of the once rugged frontier rebound from the Ellis Gillette feud, vigilantism and Sheriff Bart's justice obliterating the mounds of indigenous people cast an ever-present and ominous tone over sacred grounds throughout the county. Author Madonna Wise shares ethereal accounts of the Megan Theater, the treacherous road to nowhere, the Edwina Hotel, and more. Madonna, thanks for joining me. Well, good morning. It's great to, to be invited, and I look forward to talking with you. Thanks. And you've written other history books. This is your first haunted history book. But along the lines of history... When did the history bug first bite you? Well, it, it, absolutely, this is a whole new genre for me. And the history bug probably bit me as a child. I was always fascinated with um, stories from, um, I grew up in a farm in Indiana. And, um, you know, the neighbors, the stories about various things, um, customs, traditions, um you know, weird family stories, uh, fun um, events and that kind of thing. And then um, I went on to study history and I was a history teacher for a while before I moved into other areas of uh, teaching and administration. So I, I've been bitten several times by the history bug. Wow. Do you have a certain time period of history that is your favorite to study? I I was absolutely enamored with frontier history when I was um, in college. I had a wonderful professor, Dr. Mickelson, and uh, Taylor University, and uh, he he spent a lot of time on just what life was like for people at various times. And actually, when I was teaching history, I used to um, really abhor having kids memorize dates and mm. sequences. I always wanted them to understand the concepts and get a feeling for what life was like at different times. And we used to do role plays and, um, you know, all kinds of simulations and things like that. But I think, um, you know, understanding people at different times is really um, an enjoyable topic. And it can be everything from medicine to clothing to foods to employment um, and the roles of different people over time. So, See, that's the kind of teachers, because my dad did that for me for history. Um, and then I also had like Mr. Ritchie, Mr. Crandomar, some of the history teachers, Ms. Sean Horse that stand out in my mind that got me into history because they they taught history the way you're talking about not just memorizing dates it's because if you get into the history that way the dates will come to your mind um later on that's what stuck with me with history and then also you know learning about the daily lives and how they would have survived and that's why i still do that because i reenact uh too because 
the day-to-day lives of people interested me as well. Uh, so, yeah, 100%. Uh, the way you taught history is what sticks out with kids. You would have been, if, if I would have had you as a history teacher, you would have stood out as probably one of my favorite teachers. Uh, kudos <laughs> for doing it that way. Well, I, I've just appreciated those teachers that, that taught me. And I, you know, it seems like when I came up in education, it was just more uh, factual information. We didn't teach in, in terms of concepts or learning themes, so to speak. But that has evolved over time. And you, when I was first teaching history, uh, government, those kind of subjects, I taught sociology and psychology just a bunch of different topics, but it seems like I was always surrounded by um, coaches who um, were coaching the various teams at the high school. And they, they I, I, this sounds a little bit prejudiced and I don't mean it that way, but it seems like they were always like focused on the wars and, you know, the dates and that kind of thing. And I, I just sort of hated teaching about that to me. You know, to teach about, for example, the Civil War, it, there's, there are all the events leading up to it. And then Reconstruction is just so fascinating and significant in terms of the impact that it had for really, you know, decades and decades. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, 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 could, I could do it if I had to. But I, <laughs> I just liked talking about people and what was going on. Yeah. The, you know, you say that and said that. It reminds me because I recently have done a study of how the events after World War One helped lead up to World War Two. Um, oftentimes, the events that happen after one war lead to a buildup of a second of, of another war or uh, long-standing mistrust between two sides. It's oh, absolutely, and that's just such a phenomenal example after World War One with. Um, you know, the, the strict um, punishments that were given to Germany. And, uh, you know, there were some really good things that happened there with the League of Nations developing and so on. But it just wasn't followed through. And there was this feeling of you can be harsh and punitive, um, you know, to, for example, Germany. And that's that's really where a lot of the, the hatred and the economic pressures developed after World War One, and then eventually resulted in you know, the terrible atrocity, atrocities of uh, World War Two. Yeah. And but even yeah, Japan absolutely. was kind of put to the wayside, too. And they felt kind of like a third-class citizen, in a way, mm-hmm. um, during that. It, it was insane. It was to see how, wow, okay, so this is the buildup 20 years before, or 15 years before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just uh, interesting. It's uh, I, I, I like uh, I, I can see we have a lot in common <laughs> learning about all <laughs> it this. Sounds like it. That's great. It's great. I guess we need to get to ghosts now. So this is your first book about ghosts. <laughs> but have ghost stories been something you've been interested in before? Well, it, actually, I did um, three Arcadia books on local Florida histories, Central Florida, and when you look at Frontier Florida, which People may not know this, but a lot of it was a lot like the Wild West. But there was, um, during the whole period of time when there was land settlement and the Seminole Wars and all this, that a lot of the area was very um, sparsely populated. And I think out of that period of time, um, 
when there was homesteading and, and open range and that, that kind of thing, there was so much isolation that, um, different traditions evolved. And sometimes their explaining what was going on was based on, uh, you know, some bad luck, um, and that kind of thing. There was a lot of death in that period of time, um, and burial customs became sort of ritualistic. So uh, I guess I'm getting carried away here, but, but needless to say, I heard a lot of stories as I was collecting the information. And a couple of years ago, one of the civic groups uh, wanted me to do a little talk um, pre-Halloween about some of the stories I had heard. And that's when I first started thinking about it. It might be fun to put some of those stories together. It was never my intent to be, um, I, I sort of had a, a, a level at which I would go into it where there, to me, there was a lot of humor in the stories that were told to me. Some of the stories were completely made up, you know, and then they took on a life of their own. And so I then, when I decided to do this, um, I, I put out some, um, notices on social media and I started collecting stories. Some of the most wild stories are not in the book because I was like, that just couldn't have happened. But a lot of the other ones did. Um, and in answer to your question, um, I don't know that um, I really believe in ghosts, but when, in working on this book, I did work a couple of days with a ghost hunter, Nicole Farrow in Newport Ritchie. And we spent some time together and she told me about this ghost tour she had done. And then I, I wanted to find out about how she got into it and what happened. And she made a comment that really kind of stuck with me. And it was that you won't be interested in these stories. You wouldn't want to attend a ghost tour or whatever, or do anything in the paranormal. If you yourself had not have not had some kind of experience, maybe some kind of feeling, uh, whatever. And I kind of think that's true. Um, and I've definitely had that, um, with, you know, different family events and that kind of thing. So I, I, I'm also a pretty spiritual person. So I think there's like different dimensions of our personalities. And, um, so I was open to it. And from there, um, I started collecting these stories and they were just so fascinating. I worked with um, a retired attorney in Dade City named Bill Dayton, who's just this um, phenomenal storyteller. So he, he must have had 25 stories to tell me. And then, you know, from there, another story would come along or, or whatever. And then I tried to capture you know, the salient points of the story and, um, and, and write it in an entertaining way of, of the possibilities. Now, sometimes, you know, you can, you can explain the situation. Um, when you look at all of the facts, you can explain it one way. Uh, but that other times you can't exactly, um, rationally figure out what happened. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to go on faith, but there's always a yeah, little yeah. bit of truth to every story. Because during last year's Halloween episodes and on last week's episode, I guess here on this week's, because I like to reiterate this point, if you want to know the true spirit, and no pun intended, of a place, 
you have to learn his folklore and his ghost stories, um, whether you believe in that that kind of thing or not, because it gives you an idea of the taste of the place and the history, because behind all the folklore and all the ghost stories, there's a bit of truth. When you start to dig in, it can give you that thirst to learn more. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. One of the um, central stories of the book, it it takes place in uh, this hill in Pasco County, um, north of Tampa. Um, And it was Major Francis Langhorn Dade who made this um, monumental uh, trek with 109 soldiers, and then they were massacred um, in near Brooksville. Um, and he had a premonition the night before he had, um, he'd been, he had fought in the war of 1812. So he had this graphic dream, which is not, you know, out of the world of possibilities when you think about it. But of course, all of, all of his, um, troops except two were killed the next day. And it's kind of interesting because that particular hillside, uh, we found out had um, a whole series of ancient uh, Indian mounds. And then later on, it was occupied by the son of one of the really big um, uh, citrus pioneers in the area who built the largest packing plant in the world, Pasco Packing at one time. And um, his his name was uh, Stockton Massey. And he had a whole series of ghost encounters at that same location so it was kind of fascinating right now it's a um it's kind of an apartment complex hillside uh, terraced apartments and my husband and i just kind of went over there and walked the hillside just to get a feel for it and you can kind of imagine that it's interesting in florida um this may be true other places but um there were ancient burial mounds um from indigenous folks that date back to, you know, 10,000 years ago and me before. And um, it's just kind of interesting that a lot of those have been, um, you know, mutilated and that kind of thing. And and I found it interesting that there were several locations uh, that I featured in the book that later on had catastrophes that happened at that same site. But along the same lines, there were some really fascinating buildings, um, a theater in Newport Ritchie. It was a um, it was kind of in the Great Gatsby era, but they, there was a silent uh, movie star. He was actually number two in the whole country, uh, right right behind Rudolph Valentino. But his name was um, Thomas Magnum, and his wife was a famous uh, silent movie star too, Frances Ring. And um, the Megan Theater is still there. It's now the Ritchie Fundamental Theater. But it, um, lots of stories from that theater. He was there when they they converted it to um, a talkie theater, you know, when they got sound in the 1930s. But, um, again, certain places seem to hold on to different, it just may be the, the uh, magnificence of the building you know, and you say folklore that kind of went along mm-hmm. with it. But we had all kinds of things. We had a, a POW camp yeah. um, in, in the county, and um, they were actually soldiers um, from World War II. They were from um, 
the AfriCorps. They were from Rommel's troops that were sent um, to Florida. In fact, there were several POW camps all over the South. And um, when I had done research early on about that, I kept getting all these wonderful stories from people. They would say, oh, oh, gosh, it was the nicest thing. They sent they sent these, you know, German POW soldiers out to all these different places to work. And we fed them well. And they, you know, they did arts and crafts and so on. And I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be more to this story. And so when I dug a little bit deeper, I found that, you know, there were some some really um, lonely experiences. Um, sometimes after the um, the war ended, when the prisoners were still here, when there was a lack of food and so on. And the story that I told um, in the book is from a gentleman. His name was Arthur Lang, and he had been befriended he was a young man i think he was like 19 and this young woman <clears throat> excuse me in dade city had brought him baked goods on a regular basis and he he she just kind of kept him alive sort of emotionally and so he came back i think about 1985 to try to find her and um it, it was just like an, an interesting story of you know needs and so on you know madonna we actually have books on georgia pow camps and World oh War you II, do that's Wyoming, right you ohio do. And michigan yeah. nebraska so maybe your next book could be on the florida <laughs> pow camps that's not, a bad idea. that's not a bad idea they are actually really interesting and i've always found the pow camps interesting because when my mama's people are from the um jacksonville aniston alabama area and there was a POW camp over uh, in that area, too. So I mm-hmm, remember my mm-hmm. grandfather telling me stories um, about that POW camp. So it's just very interesting. Mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. Madonna, you know, I always say that, you know, history spider webs. And, you know, speaking of Dade, you know, and the Dade massacre and um, just how history will can, can kind of connect different places. Of course, this, you know, Osceola, who was the, who was a Seminole chief, you know he 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 comes he becomes arrested, and you know you kind of led me again on a deep dive because you know the War of Eight people seem to think that you have uh, the Revolutionary War, some things happen, and then there's the Civil War in our history. But no, there's the War of eighteen twelve. There's expansion out west. Um, there's the Seminole Wars in, in Florida. The Cherokees get removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Seminoles get removed to Oklahoma Territory. And Osceola, he's a chief in Florida, and he plays a big role there until he's uh, arrested. But, you know, Osceola, his final days are here near where I live, outside of Charleston Harbor on Sullivan's Island in Fort Moultrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's a connection between where you're at, where you live, where this book's about, and right here where I live. Um, so that's Absolutely. a neat little connection. Absolutely, yes. And, and um, you know, Florida is really involved in the the, uh, tale of, the Trail of Tears. And um, one of the other stories that I have in the book is about um, Captain Bradley and the Dade Mass or the, um, the Darby Massacre, or sometimes called the Bradley Massacre. And it's so interesting. Um, it, it was just an afterthought. Um, 
it, it's an interesting kind of, it looks like it was a revenge attack because he had gotten a bad case of malaria and he retired from the army and he's there with his family at their homestead and a band of um, Native Americans come and two of his children are killed. And then there's the revenge from that and so on. It goes on and on and on. But it's very much related to that whole period that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, there's this um, uh, phenomenal uh, park, like a recreational park. It's called Screamageddon. And um, they host these haunted um, events every year. And they own several acres, I don't know, 60 acres or something. But it happens they own that actual home site. What? And, wow. Yeah. And so they called me up um, before I even thought about the book. And they were telling me that, and I was like, okay, well. Anyhow, they were telling me that there are two ghostly figures, a little boy and a little girl. And they said, you know, it's not like one person has seen this. It's like. Dozens of people have claimed to see it. Now, that area is very low and it's a little swampy, so it has a kind of a fogginess to it, an eeriness to it. So there might be ways to explain it. But um, when I talk to my historian friends, you know, they're like, we need to go out there and find that home site because that's just too coincidental. Um but anyhow, like I said before, I tried to put a lot of humor into it. Um, the Edward Scissorhands movie was uh, filmed in this area. And, of course, um, you know, we had uh, Johnny Depp. And uh, that was one of the, the last movies that um, a couple of really famed um, old-time movie stars did. But they built all kinds of huge sets. Um, and he was kind of like a modern day Frankenstein. So I had a couple of things like that, that were sort of on the fringes. Um, and we had a, a, some interesting characters in Wesley Chapel, which is a burgeoning area. Now it's probably one of the fastest growing areas in the whole United States. Um, it was, uh, two decades ago, it was again, very, almost no population. It was almost completely agrarian. Now it's just, you know, this uh, booming area, but there was a really famous, uh, fella that lived there. Um, Louis Vandercar, and he had, he built this whole community that he called the enchantment. And, um, he was, he was a self-proclaimed warlock, and so I had a chance. He was in, in a, a real character, too. But um, I had a chance to interview his grandson and learn more about him. Um, in that same area, there was a dispute between the Tampa area and this neighbor, our neighboring county over a hurricane evacuation route when they built the University of South Florida and they never finished the road. So the, the enormous uh, freeway out there, which is called Bruce B. Downs Highway, uh, was known as the road to nowhere. And um, a lot of really heinous crimes were committed on that road. And it wasn't finished forever. Um, our, some of our good friends are in the racing industry, the Rudiments, the Rudiman family. And um, 
they, they used to go out there all the time and race their cars because, you know, it was just an open road. But I tried to just bring in, you know, all kinds of things into the book of, of stories, possibility, mysterious events, and so on. Um, one of my favorite stories was written by the uh, one of the city council members, who I think is a wonderful historian named Scott Black, and he wrote this story about how um, the Trilby Church, it was another area that was really big at one time, um, they had done all these renovations on the church, like over 40 years. And one day they were singing this really um, elaborate hymn, and I forget the name of the hymn, but but right about the time when it was talking about the heavens opening up, um, literally the, the um, ceiling fell down from the, the you know, the, the, uh, the church building. And he wanted me to include that. And he did a great job on the story. Um, something like souls in danger <laughs> in Trilby. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it was a fun story. And then interestingly enough, um, we included another story that his mother had written. She did a column for the paper and they supposedly lived in the, the haunted house in that area. And it was just a, a, a funny little story. Uh, um, it's actually not a ghost story, but it was all on the premise of uh, one person scaring another one. I had another example of that at St. Leo University, where I got wind of this story that a nun had been... Um, murdered in like the 1930s and so I kept digging on the story and digging on the story and finally I come to a person who said oh I was in the prep school uh, in the 1950s and we made up that story and we, we we put red ink on the stairways and and so the story is still alive and some people still re- still believe it but it was really just the product of a couple of you know, 15-year-old kids who made up the story. And I, I suspect there are lots of stories like that. Oh, absolutely. Well, if you remember, like, the <laughs> uh, over at, in England, the crop circles were just a guy with a board going around making the crop circles. And that got worldwide <laughs> really? attention. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, well, it's a, it's a fun read. It's a fun book. Uh, like I said, there's history connected to everywhere. And Florida, this part of Florida... It was the frontier into the 1830s. Uh, people don't seem to think about it that way anymore because we're used to thinking of Florida. You know, we think Disney World and Miami and Tallahassee and Panama City and Jacksonville and Gainesville. We think of cities now, but no, uh, in Orange Groves, it was the frontier. Um, it was definitely the frontier, and there was a lot of vigilante justice. Um, I, I tell the story of a famous sheriff in the area, Sheriff Bart, and his various stories, and also a good number of stories from the, the county, uh, county jail where, you know, public lynchings occurred. And, um, yeah, it was, it was like one would think of the Wild West and um, kind of a rugged frontier, hardworking people. Um, strong family values, a lot of people coming together from from different areas, settling here. But um, yes, very different than our stereotype of Florida, palm trees and the beach. It's um, 
much more. But it was great, great fun to write the book, and I really enjoyed it. And I did attempt, uh, like I did in the years when I taught history, to to teach about the um, the history of what was going on. Every time I told a story, uh, whether it was about a cemetery or a building or a church or a, you know. Um, hotel lots of hotels seem to get in these books i would tell the story of how that building came into existence and whatever one one other thing that i found kind of funny about this book is i would say i had 10 different stories that included a woman in white and one day i said to my two daughters who were visiting i go like what is this about the women in white walking around these ghostly women in white and they said oh mom that is just how ghost stories are told but i found it kind of funny that um the ghosts tended to be feminine and they tended to, tended to be wearing white so yeah it seems everybody has the woman in white <laughs> and then also there's the woman in white by the side of the road hitchhiking and then she disappears when you get to the house where you give her a ride to and there's a uh -huh. crybaby bridge in every state yeah. or something so yeah, but that's a, that's your classic ghost stories nowadays. <laughs> I guess it is. I didn't know that. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> that just means you got to. Yes, that's the beginning. Uh, it used to be a dark and stormy night when I was a kid. Uh, right, right. Well, Madonna, thanks for being on today. I appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate chatting with you, Johnny. Thank you so much for Thank the opportunity. Know. And as always, thanks to you, the audience, for joining us. Haunted History of Pasco County is now available online at ArcadiaPublishing.com and wherever local books are sold. I would like to thank, as always, Jane Bill's unnamed band project for the podcast theme song. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Jane Bill's unnamed band project. I will talk with you next week when we explore more haunted history.